0: Welcome to the Occult London podcast. This is a podcast dedicated to exploring magic, mysticism, the Kabbalah as well as other topics. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please take a moment to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes or wherever you tune in, it really helps more folks find us and helps us to continue to get this message out there. Also don't forget to check out occultlondon.co.uk to subscribe and if you're feeling extra supportive consider backing us on patreon or you can also bind us on buy me a coffee every little bit goes a long way in keeping the show alive and a massive thanks to all those who have already supported us in that way and also to those of you who just show their appreciation through a nice email now let's dive into today's episode in our last episode we were looking into some of the symbolism and magic of the magical circle. And at the heart of this circle often lies a square or a central cross. And this design effectively splits the circle into four distinct quarters, each representing a cardinal direction, East, South, West and North. In the tradition of Western magical traditions, these quarters are recognised as the watchtowers, And this is what I wanted to discuss today in terms of some of their background and symbolism and also how and why the Quarters are called. While the precise origins of the system of dividing the Quarters into Four remains a bit of a mystery, some scholars have speculated that its roots may trace back to the earliest magicians' perceptions of astrology. And if you think about the circle as being a symbol of the infinite, the divine, the quarters on the other hand symbol our terrestrial plane and the elemental world. The circle and its quarters then come together to mirror not just the stars but also our understanding of the universe, the bringing together of the macrocosm and the microcosm. As William Lilly once observed, The fourfold aspect within the circles clearly relates to the divisions of the terrestrial world, while the circles themselves refer to the celestial sphere. As such, the names of the times and planetary spirits are found circling the earth, like the stars above the firmament. Diving deeper, the symbolism associated with the four directions is intrinsically tied to the material world around us. This symbology really kind of harmonises with other concepts linked to the number four. For instance, if we think about a square, which signifies Earth with its four sides aligning with the cardinal directions, this pattern extends further. So the four facets of our being, physical, emotional, sensational and spirit, the four states of matter, gas, liquid, solid and plasma, and even the four elemental forces that Weave the fabric of our universe, strong, weak, gravitational, and electromagnetic. And the importance of the number four is described by Agrippa in his work, The Three Books of Occult Philosophy, and in particular a passage called The Scale of Four. And he writes, And the Pythagoreans call it the perpetual fountain of nature, for there are four degrees in the scale of nature to be, to live, to be sensible, to understand. There are four motions in nature. Ascendant, descendant, going forward, circular. There are four corners in heaven. Rising, falling, middle of the heaven. And the bottom of it. There are four elements under heaven. Fire, air, water and earth. And according to these, there are four triplicities in heaven. There are four first qualities under the heaven cold, heat, dryness and moistness and from these are the four humours blood, phlegm, choler and melancholy. So although the significance of the number four is evident and it can be found throughout the universe um, the origins of the four quarters in magical practices remain somewhat elusive. Um, evidence of them can be found in the mythologies of different religions um, often encompassing this idea of the four cardinal points, so a centre point and both an upper and a lower point. And when we examine different spiritual traditions around the world, these points correspond to a myriad of associations, including the weather, colours, animals, and seasons, as well as obviously, obviously different gods and goddesses. So, for example, in the Norse mythology, um, the, the world in Norse lore is meant to be held aloft by four dwarves, who are each named after a different direction. And these dwarves play an integral part in upholding the world, each representing a different essential cosmic element. So in the east we have Alstri, and the east symbolising sort of rebirth, renewal, aligning with the sunrise. And then in the south we have Sudri. The south is often linked with warmth, growth, prosperity and obviously fire. We have vestry in the west, representing the setting sun. And the west often symbolises endings or reflections and sometimes death. And then in the north we have nordry, which is kind of associated with cold and challenges and also elements of strength and endurance. If we move to Greece as well, in ancient Greeks, they envisioned the world as being surrounded by deities known as the animoi, who were the gods of the four winds. And these were named in Boreas, the north wind, Zephyros, the west, Notos, the south, and Euros, the east. And each of these winds was associated with a season. So Boreas was the cold breath of winter, Zephyros, the god of spring, and Notos, the god of summer rainstorms. Um, and also, there's some theories with regards to this the Greek attributes in terms of it may be one of the uh, origins of some of the LBRP symbols from that ritual. Also in ancient Egypt we find the sons of Horus um, who are considered to be not only guardians of the cardinal directions but they also preside over the vital organs during the mummification process. And here we have in the north we have Happy, who is associated with the lungs and is usually depicted with a baboon's head. And he corresponded with the, the god of the Nile inundation. We also had Imseti in the south, who is a human-headed god. And he oversaw the liver and embodied steadfastness and protection. In the east, we had Duamutef, who was a jackal head and oversaw the stomach. And also, obviously, have the connection with, with Anubis, with the jackal. Um, he is meant to offer protection to the deceased. And then we also have Kweber Saneof in the west who was hawk-headed and he guarded the intestines and also provided strength to the deceased heart um there's lots of different theories about uh about the four sons of horus in terms of whether they are but obviously but a lot of um historians and egyptologists generally agree that they would have acted as like this kind of um guardians of the four corners of the universe and there's an Egyptologist called martin j raven who argued that the primary purpose of the sons of horus was to act as the four corners of the universe and the four supports of heaven and only secondarily with the protection of the body's integrity and the association of the sons of horus with the earth's cardinal directions is also found in one scene in the pyramid texts where they are described as birds flying out to the four corners of the cosmos and they herald the accession of king Ramesses ii to the throne and i'll just read this passage out imseti go south that you may declare to the southern gods that horus son of isis and osiris has assumed the crown and the king of upper and lower egypt usamatre Setempene has assumed the crown. Happy, go north, that you declare to the northern gods that Horus, son of Isis and Osiris, has assumed the crown and king of Upper and Lower Egypt. Usamatre, Setepenre has assumed the crown. Duamutev, go east, that you may declare to the eastern gods that Horus, son of Isis and Osiris, has assumed the crown and the king of Upper and Lower Egypt. Usamatre Setempenre has assumed the crown. Quebeseniuf, go east that you may declare to the western gods that Horus, son of Isis and Osiris, has assumed the crown, and the king of Upper and Lower Egypt, Usamatre Setempenre has assumed the crown. That's a quote from the um, from the pyramid texts, just uh, talking about it. so You can obviously see from that that there are some elements of that, in terms of this idea of the four sons of Horus each being attributed to a different um, cardinal direction, we also see this uh, in Hindu, and Tibetan, in ancient Chinese, and Aztec, as well as in Celtic lore. And obviously, I'm not going to go through all of these in in detail. Um, you know, you can look look them up. But what we can really find from these narratives, and there's one thing that really remains clear is this universal significance of the cardinal points. It's not just a coincidence, it's a testament to our shared human desire to understand and connect with the world around us, to unite the microcosm and the macrocosm, and also have some kind of control over the world around us. From a magical perspective, ancient connections and hints are also evident in relation to the four quarters and the elements, For example, in certain spells in the Greco-Egyptian rituals from the PGM, magicians would ceremonially pour powers or liquids towards the Four Directions. We also have mention of the Four Directions in PGM 14, um, which is under the title, This is the Consecration for All Purposes, the spell to Helios. And the opening to this beautiful ritual goes as follows. I invoke you, the greatest God, Eternal Lord, World Ruler. I, who are over the world and under the world, mighty ruler of the sea, rising at dawn, shining from the east for the whole world, setting in the west. Come to me, you who rises from the four winds, joyous Agathos, demon, for whom heaven has become the processional way. I call upon your holy and great and hidden names which you rejoice to hear the earth flourished when you shone forth the plants became fruitful when you laughed the animals begat their young when you permitted give glory and honor and favor and fortune and power to this charm which i consecrate today Um, and that's a a text from the pgm spell to helios and that's a really powerful um, invocation to to work with As you can see, it does mention about the four directions there, the four winds, um, which again is interesting, obviously it's part of this magical tradition. Also in ancient Roman traditions, we have the tradition of the Lares, who were tutelary spirits or guardians of the crossroads, and this concept parallels the idea of a distinct guardian for each quarter. For example, we have a prayer to the Lares from Tibulus 110 to 1525, that praised them as actors as guardians, and I quote Laris, gods of my father, preserve me. While young and still nursing, you guided me when I played at your feet. Let none profane your antique images, rough hewn statues set upon altars of upturned sod, then dwelled among our grandfathers. In those days, humble reverence. Provided you with sweet honey alone, you stayed in meagre shrines made of twigs and tattered robes. The gods were pleased with offerings of grapes and wreaths of wheat, set upon carved heads. Granted his wish, a man would bring you honey cakes and set his virgin daughters to attend your little shrines. Laris, turn away from us, those who scheme against us with their bronze weapons. And as you can see from that quote from the Roman tradition, although it doesn't actually particularly specify um, actual directions being attributed to the Lares, if you think about the Lares as being uh, this, this spirit that inhabited the crossroads, it's almost getting very similar to some of the traditions in the Western mystery tradition uh, with regards to uh, the idea of kind of archangels at, at each quarter or you know elemental beings as well. Also, in the grimoire magical traditions, we find references to the four quarters, although there are um, variations and correspondences and orientational considerations based on the specific grimoire. So, while the usual pattern in most modern traditions places air in the east, fire in the south, water in the west, and obviously earth in the north, um, and it's often an arrangement attributed to the four four winds of the earth plane some grimoires such as the key of solomon have more of a a stellar arrangement based on astrology so you you often will find fire being placed in the east um, earth in the south air in the west and then water in the north and this is mentioned in a text in a section of the text that gives directions on the construction of a magical carpet um, where we have Mikael, fire, in the east, Raphael, air, in the north, Gabriel, water, is in the west, and then Muriel, earth, is in, is in the south. And the, the actual text of this goes as follows, and I'm going to quote the whole thing. Make a carpet of white and new wool, and when the moon shall be at her full, in the sign of Capricorn and in the hour of the sun... They shalt go out into the country, away from any habitation of man. In a place free from all impurity, and shalt spread out thy carpets, that one of its points shall be towards the east, and another towards the west, and having made a circle without it and enclosing it, thou shalt remain within upon the point towards the east. And holding thy wand in the air for every operation, thou shalt call upon, towards the north upon Raphael towards the west upon Gabriel and towards the south upon Muriel after this thou shalt return unto the point of the east and devoutly invoke the great name Agla and take this point of the carpet in thy left hand turning then towards the north thou shalt do the same and so continuing to the other points of the carpet thou shalt raise them so that they touch not the ground and holding them up thus and turning anew towards the east thou shalt say with great veneration the following prayer and then it goes on into a prayer but as you can see the attributions of the archangels are um, are very different um Within that, particular, um, within, within that particular one, because we've got Mikael obviously in the, in the east, um, we have Raphael in, in the north, which is air, and then Gabriel is in the west, and then Earth is actually in the south, so the only one that's kind of normal is Gabriel, which is in the west. Moving on from the Key of Solomon, we also find that John Dee discusses this idea of the quarter, quarter, four quarters in terms of the watchtowers. Um and these would later incorporate into the Golden Dawn um, Enochian system. Um the Enochian tradition, obviously brought to public prominence by John Dee and Edward Kelly in the 16th century, is one of the earliest references to the use of watchtowers, and it also includes invocations of the angels overseeing the four quarters of the terrestrial realm. Also, some grimoires incorporate the practice of associating an aspect of God with each quarter. And this is seen where we have the four letters of the tetragrammaton distributed amongst the four directions. Um, there's also certain Kabbalistic traditions which involve permutations of the divine name or the tetragrammaton, yielding twelve variations, which are known as the twelve banners of the holy name. Um, we did a lot, uh, quite a few episodes on the tetragrammaton. So, if people want to um, find out more about that, then you know, by all means, go back through the go through the back catalogue and find them. Also in contemporary Golden Dawn pentagram rituals they incorporate the concept of the quarters through the use of defensive or invoking pentagrams and they further elaborated on this framework by introducing four angelic or Enochian tablets as well which are referred to as the four watchtowers and each watchtower obviously corresponds to a specific direction and an element and this tradition is likely you know one of the main things that popularized the notion of watchtowers or guardians in ceremonial magic as being protectors of the four cardinal points of the quarters and the representation of these guardians often varies um based on a specific tradition and there's lots of different ones depending obviously you know what tradition you follow or um what particular mythological pantheon you work with um for example in the in a cabalistic way, you would have the archangels Uriel, Raphael, Michael, and Gabriel. Um, the stars you could also work with, which is Fomalhaut, Aldebaran, Regulus, and Antares, as well. Also in Wicca, which was introduced by Gerald Gardner in, in terms of the more modern form of it, um, also incorporates this idea of watchtowers. And while often the Enochian associations may be admitted the, the reference to the watchtowers as being the four cardinal points is retained and typically they're invoked during the casting of the circle. Um, in both Alexandrian and Gardnerian tradition, traditions uh, the normal way is the invocation of the watchtowers begins in the east, proceeds to the south, the west and then the north, um, often accompanied by an earth invoking pentagram and this model is, is also used in many You know, other neo pagan type groups as well. And it's important to remember that the pentagram, it should be remembered, is that image of all four of the elements overseen by spirit. So it's a very powerful um, image to work with when you are um, opening, when you're bringing forth these elemental powers across various systems however a consistent practice emerges and this is the invocation of forces at the onset of the ritual and this act is often referred to as calling the elements calling the quarters calling the watchtowers or calling the elementals and the real purpose of of it is to seek to summon the powers of the four elements from their respective cardinal directions and this invocation enhances the ritualistic protection but also channels the energy the power and brings through that guardianship of those elements into the magical circle so we have this idea of the four quarters representing a protective aspect but these four quarters or directions are also important from the point of view of the elemental attributions which each cardinal direction corresponds to. And each cardinal direction also corresponds to a specific elemental force that is incorporated into the ritual work. And The normal correspondence for these in the Northern Hemisphere are as East is in the air, South is in the fire, West is water, North is earth. But beyond this there's also that acknowledgement of a fifth element, the often elusive to our physical senses, which is known as ether or akasha or spirits and this is usually associated with the circle's centre. And it's important to note that, as I mentioned before, although the east is air, south is fire, west is water, north is earth, this is like the most common way that you'll find. There are an assortment of different approaches when designating elements to the cardinal directions. For example, if one were working in the southern hemisphere, sunrise and sunset are still in the east and west, but the sun moves anti-clockwise through the sky. So normally, in those hemispheres, you might put fire into the north and then earth in the south. Other, other techniques would also follow an astrological perspective. For example, in the hexagram ritual, um, which is also one of the, the golden dawn um, ones. And in this particular ritual, one aligns the cardinal directions with the cardinal signs of the zodiac and the Order of the Zodiac, placing fire in the east, earth in the south, air in the west, and then water in the north. This change in direction is described well by Donald Michael Craig in his excellent book Modern Magic, as follows. The elemental associations for the LBRP are specifically related to the physical plane, the earth plane mal The elemental associations for the hexagrams, are associated with a higher plane, specifically the level associated with the Zodiac. On the Earth plane, most of us are familiar with the elements as water to the west, air to the east, fire to the south, and earth to the north. On the zodiacal level, the signs follow a natural order called the triplicities because it repeats three times through the Zodiac. The first sign, Aries, is a fire sign. The second sign, Taurus, is an earth sign. The third sign, Gemini, is an air sign. The fourth sign, Cancer, is a water sign. This structure, fire, earth, air and water, repeats twice more for the remaining eight signs of the zodiac. It also forms the pattern for use with the hexagrams on this higher zodiacal plane. East is fire, south is earth, west is air and north is water. That's a quote from um, Donald Michael Craig, uh, Modern Magic. So yeah, despite there being lots of different variations on it, um, in, this, in this discussion, I'm prim- primarily going to be using the normal way, which is the one I personally use, which is east is air, south is fire, west is water and north is earth. So we have the four directions each assigned to an element, but why are we working with the elements in this way? And what is their significance in the magical circle? Well, Vivian Crowley, um, I think, eloquently describes these elements and elementals in terms of energy states with differing molecular vibrations when she wrote the following. The elements can be envisioned as energy in diverse states, each with molecules vibrating at unique speeds. Esoteric teachings portray the physical universe as a composition of energy in four distinct forms. Earth signifies energy at its densest, when molecules solidify into tangible shapes. Water, less dense, assumes solidity only when confined. Fire displays enough form to be visible, yet remains elusive to touch. Air, devoid of form, moves so rapidly, It's only observed through its influence, such as wind rustling trees. In our world the sky and wind resonate with air, the sun with fire, the sea with water and the land with earth. The ethereal fifth element, Ether, straddles the physical realm, creating force fields around tangible objects. While Ether's rapid motion escapes the naked eye, developing etheric sensitivity, through practices like wicker or magic, allows us to discern those force fields or the etheric parallels of physical entities. What many perceive as an aura is a fragment of this force field extending slightly beyond our physical forms, often termed the etheric body. So I think what. Um, vivian crowley is saying is you know life transcends mere physical existence and while the elements lack tangible attributes like metal- metabolic bodies they possess etheric counterparts known as elements and elementals and these entities conscious within their etheric plane operate differently from humans they may have limited freedom but they are endowed with massive immense power also it should be known that elementals gravitate towards their corresponding elements on the physical realm so subtly they will make their presence felt you know when we're out and about in nature so for example you know if you go into the middle of a, a mountainous region on your own for example particularly at dusk you'll really feel this presence or if you go into like an abandoned mine um you know again, you feel this real strong presence of the earth and there's something living within there. Also, in a secluded forest, you get this feeling of being watched. Um, all of these things, I think, can be kind of indicators of um, you know these elemental forces that, um, that we share this world with. And as magicians, by connecting with the elementals and calling them into the circle, we can connect with the building blocks of reality and the world around us as well as the matter that makes up our physical body, both by asking for their aid, but also by elevating the natural world through spiritual forces. The magical names that are often used for these elemental spirits are as follows. Sylphs for the air, fire for the salamanders, water for the undines, and then earth is the gnomes. And although there's many different depictions of these elementals as being like fairies, etc., um, it's crucial to understand that despite the frequent depiction of certain beings as humanoid in shape, these images are more profound representations of spiritual forces. As one author um, say stated, people tend to think of the elementals as humanoid. A glance at art will show women with long, flowing hair like strands of waterweed inhabiting river- rivers and small men with gnarled features inhabiting the Earth. Elementals were endowed with forms appropriate to their nature. These images are not formed in an arbitrary way. Human consciousness works in a similar way in all times and cultures and the forms in which the elementals have been depicted over the ages are very consistent. These symbols serve an essential purpose. When one comes into contact with elementals corresponding symbol is triggered in the psyche. Consequently, we perceive the force as the symbol. This perception is a manifestation of passive clairvoyance. Conversely, stimulating the symbol through deliberate visualisation causes the process to reverse, aligning us with the force behind the symbol. This intentional act is what's referred to as active magic. It is through such practices that during rituals we invoke the elements at the quarters. Nevertheless, it's vital to differentiate between the entity and the imagery with which our mind associates with it. Elementals are generally akin to graceful mermaids. Yet these symbols efficiently convey the quintessence of the elemental's true nature. So what they're saying is, Although, um, I think it was Dean Fortune that, that, that um, actually wrote, wrote that particular quote, but um, what, what she's saying there is obviously this idea of although the symbol, to so say, of the mermaid, for example, is not an accurate representation of what an elemental looks like, we can tap into that energy of the elemental through using these symbols that have been used by humankind for generations, because that symbol is linked up with that inner force, that spiritual power that sits behind the symbol. So very similar to what we were talking about recently with regards to the alchemy of symbols. And Dion Fortune also kind of supports that quote when she wrote the following. The uninstructed person believes they're experiencing psychism when they envision elves, archangels and elementals with their inner sight. The informed individual recognises that they are employing an imaginative technique to endow tangible form to the intangibles, which would otherwise remain elusive to their consciousness. This method is adopted primarily because it offers the most effective means of navigating the deeper realms of the mind, which are typically beyond the immediate grasp of our conscious awareness. Also, the significance of elementals isn't limited to mere representation. They play a foundational role, especially when invoking the four quarters to strengthen, to provide protection, and often to safeguard and empower the practice. And the lords of the elements, commonly referred to as the mighty ones uh, or the lords of the elements, are summoned. And the objective behind this is to make a connection with the dominating forces of these elemental realms. And by invoking their elemental powers to converge within the circle, a powerful nexus is formed. And metaphorically, it can be almost thought of as like crafting a grail with an ethereal circle of power and then filling it with these potent energies. So if you remember in our episode we talked about the cir- the magical circle as being this cleansed and purified area which is then filled with power so once you've done the circle then you're summoning these quarters and calling in these divine energies into that circle which is then charging it up and enabling obviously the intent of the ritual to begin to be um, flow and this is described by Gareth Knight as follows invoking the quarters involves making contacts with the elemental forces in the outer world and also the elemental forces, within ourselves. In the outer world, although elementals are most often found around their physical elements, they can move quite freely about the astral plane. They can be drawn to any place by magic, just as human beings can travel to any place on the planet. Some environments are much more hospitable than others. In some environments we can only survive in special circumstances and only for short periods. However, because of our skills and flexibility we are able to survive in a much wider range of environments than can elementals. If elementals are to be contacted away from their natural home, a suitable artificial environment must be created, just as one would prepare a tank of water for a fish or a warm cage for a tropical bird. In a magical circle, this is done by having the physical elements present in the circle to act as a home for the elementals. Their symbols are always present on the altar throughout the rites. So when we invoke the elemental quarters, um, obviously the majority of different groups use specific visualizations of guardians that would be part of that, that tradition that they follow, and these represent each of the powers of the elements as well as, normally you would have a physical representation of the element on the altar or in its quarter, So this does not necessarily need to be kind of a fancy cup or a sword or a pentacle. The important thing is that it magically symbolises the element within you. So as magicians we should meditate on each element in turn and choose something that to us symbolises that element. And this act of linking the external symbol with our inner world is what magic is all about. The sacred symbols, the correspondences in our temple should not be something tedious and boring to the initiated, but rather they should become living and breathing things that we internalize as much as possible. And Marianne Green writes about this in her excellent book which I recommend, Magic for the Aquarian Age, when she said the following. The four elements are very important because they form the key that links the inner workings of magic with the Outer Ones. When you begin to examine your character, perhaps with the aid of your horoscope, you will find that you had certain planets in the signs ruled by the different elements. Earth signs are Taurus, Virgo and Capricorn. Water rules Cancer, Pisces and Scorpio. Fire is Aries, Leo and Sagittarius. And the air signs are Gemini, Libra and Aquarius. Each makes a kind of filter, like colour filters in photography, so that it affects and colours the effects that the planets have upon the individual character. You will probably have come to see that you have an earthy nature, a water or emotional side, a fiery temper or an airy fairy imagination. By working with the symbol you choose to use in ritual magic, you will strengthen any aspects of your character which seem weak in that respect. And also Gareth Knight talks about this when he says the following is by building specific psychic powers and realisations into specific actions, objects, sensations and sounds that the magician develops the powers of his magical weapon. His magic sword, for instance, is not so much the physical one that he may handle in his physical temple but the inner spiritual, intuitional, mental, emotional sword developed from long contemplation, meditation, visualization, and physical practices of exercises devoted to the eastern quarter. And in lots of different magical traditions, um, you know there, there was, there's lots of different ways that you could do this obviously in terms of how you link those symbols. So some people may be inclined towards Celtic totem animals at the quarters, Um, you might also have the four holy living creatures from the vision of Ezekiel so the man in the east the lion in the south the eagle in the west and the bull in the north Um, or you could also have you know different um, mythological ideas as well but diverse these traditions may be they often harbor deep symbolic representations of you know masculine and feminine energies In some traditions, the circle embodies the feminine, with the quarters emanating the masculine energy. But irrespective of the chosen system, it's really important that you kind of have consistency. So, generally speaking, it's best to to adhere to a specific system um, rather than chopping and changing. So having a Kabbalistic Archangel in one quarter and then having, um, you know, a Celtic totem animal in another and an egyptian god in another tends to make it a little bit messy um you want to try and uh, generate a system that accumulates and amplifies power over time so it's repeated use repeated practice repeated visualizations that really sort of start to build it up um, in terms of practical methods and techniques in invoking is you know, it's a ritual steeped in you know lots of different symbolism and intent. And again, there's lots of different differences in how people do it. Um, often, people will hold the elemental symbol or the elemental weapon corresponding to the specific quarter. And as they would, as they concentrate, they would draw the elemental pentagram in either an invoking or a devoking way. And you can check out our episode on pentagrams if you want to find out more about these. So, for example, for the east, you could use like um, a smoking censer. Um, a lamp in the in the south, water in the west, and the pentacle in the north. Also, in some groups, um, a quarter is assigned to a particular individual um, for a period of time, which is quite good because then you can you can have one person who actually focuses on a particular quarter for a specific amount of time, and this gives them the opportunity to develop a really deep affinity and connection with that elemental force, um, and really be able to bring that power when you start turning on the turning on the ritual so that's a really good idea to do Um, other groups might just opt for like collective invocations of the elements where everybody simultaneously draws draws pentagrams there's lots of different ways of doing it a quick technique of how one would draw a pentagram is where you would you would draw power down from their sort of highest ideal of that element and then use that surge of energy channel it through the practitioner or the magical uh, weapon to craft the pentagram and I keep on mentioning pentagrams but you don't necessarily even have to use pentagrams it could just be a symbol that's relevant to your particular tradition so for example you can use like the rose cross or it could even be like a spiral for example um, as long as it kind of connects as long as it's got some sort of symbolic meaning to yourself then it's, it's it should potentially work and obviously each invocation also is usually accompanied by words of power and in numerous Western mystery tradition, um, the, these words often will resonate with the names of deities and archangelic intelligences governing that quarter. So as an example, one could use the invoking form of the lesser Banishing ritual pentagram to call forth the four elements within the circle. So in the East, you'd have yod Hey Vau which is the tetragrammaton, the most sacred name from the Old Testament. Uh, we have Raphael the archangel of air and then Peralda king of the sylphs in the south you'd have Ardenai, which translates to lord in hebrew Mikael and then Jin the elemental king of the salamanders the west would be Ahaya which is the, obviously the divine name revealed to Moses from the burning bush which translates as I am or I am that I am we'd have Gabriel the archangel and Nixa the elemental king of the undines and and so on and but but other magicians also use different systems with with regards to the, the god names so some might also invoke the god names of the mundane chakra or the planetary sphere so in the east you might have yod valhe elohar darts, which is the kabbalistic name for Tiferet, which obviously symbolizes the sun on the kabbalistic tree of life in the south you'd also you'd have elohim gebor for Geburah in the south, because obviously Geburah and Mars um, are, you know, it's kind of the, the primal fire um, sign on, on the Tree of Life. Then you'd have Shaddai El-Chai for Yesod in the west, signifying the moon. And then Adonai Aratz for Malkut um, in the north, which embodies the earth. So that's another way that some people do it as well. Those of you with Kabbalistic interests uh, may also notice that one could effectively do the calls with each representing one of the four worlds, so the highest aspect of the element one is calling could be represented by the God name or the absoluteic archetypal realm, then the next one, the creative level, represented by the Archangel, the Briatic, then the next level down, Yetzirah, or the formative etheric level with the name of a specific angelic angel, and then obviously for earth you could have the elemental king um, in azaya and obviously these are just examples there's many different ways you could do this depending on the tradition that you follow kabbalistic tradition just what happens to be the one of the ones that i tend to use the most so that's why i i'm talking about that a bit however um in most traditions Practitioners would use visualisation to connect with the elemental and the symbolic uh, Significances of each quarter and how one does that would depend entirely up to you So for example the magician Gareth Knight who was quite heavily into Christianity um, talks about connecting with the quarters through perceiving Christ embodying different roles and he wrote We can consider Christ to manifest principally as guide in the East protector in the South, companion in the West, and teacher in the North. Yet alternative allocations emerge when emphasizing the temporal cycle of the magical circle. Here one might envision the Christ child in the East, the evangelizing triumphant Christ in the South, the compassionate sacrificing Christ in the West, and the resurrected and ascended Christ in the North. It's also really important to think about way we engage with these holy names of power and obviously when you do if you do do any kind of calls to the quarters you want to put as much energy and feeling and emotion into calling the quarters Um, some traditions teach you to vibrate them so it's a magical technique which you infuse them with energy and intention rather than just speaking them in a mundane tone because it you know this really will empower them We should also aim to become one with the symbol of the element and the energy of each quarter and immerse ourselves within it to truly understand it and be able to tap and bring its energy into the circle at will. As Gareth Knight writes, the only way to realise a symbol is by a process of mutual absorption. We must enter it and it must enter us. To truly harness its essence, We should be able to identify with it at will allowing us to immerse ourselves within or project it as needed though this demands rigorous meditation and ritual work the rewards are a fourfold master key to consciousness preparing us to engage with any subsequent symbols we encounter so again it's about bringing that symbol into your being and from this it's evident that both the circle and its quarters, you know, they're filled with symbolism and they connect not just with elemental energies but also in a way serve as mirrors reflecting the intricate depths of ourselves. And as we, we continue this series in future episodes I'll be looking at this kind of idea more deeply um, in terms of looking at the cardinal directions from a kind of inner aspect, a magical aspect And how we can work with those energies in greater depth that's all we've got time for now Um, however i wanted to finish by saying that you know the art of magical practices isn't just about rituals or symbolism it really is a journey and it is a discipline that you need to kind of continue with and follow through understanding and aligning with the energies of the circle and its quarters we can tap into deeper consciousness and also unlocks insights into their true nature and as we continue this exploration i hope that you know some of this information may be useful to you know people that have got a lot of experience in this stuff and also people that are new to the craft and really kind of foster a deeper connection with the world around us but also the the universe within you and also if you have enjoyed this episode and you want to find out more about the esoteric symbolism of the four quarters then do keep listening as we will be releasing more content on this over the coming weeks and months to finish tonight's episode I wanted to finish with a beautiful poem from Rumi about the four elements which goes like this O soul the four elements are your face Water, wind, fire and earth, each one is a blessing. Once the seed of faith takes root it cannot be blown away, even by the strongest wind. Now that's a blessing. I bow to you for the dust of your feet is the crown of my head, and as I walk towards you every step I take is a blessing. His form appeared before me just now as I sing in this poem. I swear, what a blessing, what a blessing. Every vision born of earth is fleeting, every vision born of heaven is a blessing. For people the sight of spring warms their hearts. For fish the rhythm of the ocean is blessing. The brilliant sun that shines in every heart. For heaven's earth and all creatures, what a blessing. The heart can't wait to speak of this ecstasy. The soul is kissing, the earth saying, O God, what a blessing. Fill me with shine of your silence, let it soak my every pore, for the inner splendour it reveals is a blessing, is a blessing.